PM Board Bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we help you prepare for hashtag EM life, one rapid podcast at a time. Again, my name is Blake Briggs. Not sure why I just said again, but if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard this exact intake line and you know that I'm Blake Briggs. And guess who is not here today? That's right. Dr. Iltfad Hussein who went good on his promise, and he is currently in the outback, studying infections down under, doing a case study, cohort case study, whatever it is, one of those two types of research studies. Like the worst type of board question you can get is statistical and biostats or whatever. I usually punted that on my med school exams. Anyway, so for each 15, 20-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content, and boy, do we have a great one for you today. Of course, we have to mention our rapid bombs, podcast, the premium podcast, the premium special, the piece de resistance, if you will. And that is our TikTok version of our podcast. That's what Rapid Bombs is. Unlike other EM study resources, our premium podcast is the only one that downloads directly to your podcast player of your choice on your smartphone. We have over 330 episodes and counting. So basically, if you started today studying for next year's ITE or your boards that are upcoming in a year, you could do about one episode a day and you'd have enough information. So you'll easily have almost more than 500 episodes by the time your boards approach as we add episodes each week. Each episode is just two to four minutes long. We drop high-yield bombs in a question-answer format. The key here is that we optimize your study plan. You can listen to our board pearls. That'll help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. All right. We have a 21-year-old male brought into your ED from the field unresponsive. He was found in an alley by EMS and was bradycardic. EMS states they have seen him before, and he has been admitted to the hospital before for IV drug use on previous occasions. He is, unfortunately, homeless. On arrival, he is unresponsive and pulseless. Which of the following is the best next step? Choice A, naloxone. Choice B, compressions. Choice C, immediate intubation. Choice D, atropine. Choice B, compressions. All right, this is a real treat for you listeners because this is night shift Blake mode, meaning that I'm going to talk quickly. I'm going to get through this summary here for the ACLS medications, things that you just need to know for the test and for real life. Debunk some of the weird ones out there that you'll be shocked to learn about that are somehow listed as possible treatments that have been given in the past for ACLS, and we'll call it a day. Let me just emphasize something really fast. Here at EM Bore Bombs, this podcast, this podcast presents two types of information for our listeners. One, we present what's going to be on the boards. We will tell you what's standard of care. You're always going to be tested on things that potentially could be outdated. And that's just, unfortunately, being a part of healthcare. So get used to that. So we're going to talk about meds today that some of them don't really work at all. We'll tell you that they don't really work. We'll tell you that we don't really like them, but you still have to know them. So it's just a sad fact, and we can get over it together and just move forward. So this podcast in particular, we're talking about ACLS, what works, what doesn't, and what is tested on. We got a lot of requests from you, our subscribers, from the recent ITE, in-service training exam, that there are a lot of questions regarding ACLS, regarding medications, regarding what works and what's second line, third line, or don't ever give. So we're going to go over that today, make it really high yield. 
All right, no script here. Let's just do it live. I'm doing it Leroy Jenkins style. Hopefully you get that reference. Let's do this. All right, thumbs up. Ready, guys? Let's or... do this. Leroy Jenkins! Oh my God, he just ran in. We also have a handout on our website titled ACLS and ROSC in the ED. Pretty awesome handout. Take a look at it if you want more details other than what we're covering today. So on average, sudden cardiac arrest is responsible for about half a million deaths annually. It's probably higher than that because we don't have some cases that are reported. It's difficult to truly measure what actually causes patients to lose pulses. Now, the guidelines have been shifting for decades now. The Advanced Cardiac Life Support, ACLS, basically are a set of clinical management guidelines from the American Heart Association for various life-threatening conditions. It's the standard for emergency you know, healthcare delivery in North America. It provides a rubric or playbook for managing sudden cardiac arrest, and basically it's called like running the code. If you're new to emergency medicine, that's what we call running a code. Now, as the research continues, we're developing, you know, better ways of what works, what doesn't work. And the two things that work the most that are always going to be the right answer on the test and in real life is going to be excellent CPR and defibrillation as soon as possible. Those are the two most critical actions in running a code. Number one, excellent CPR. Number two, defib as soon as possible, if it's indicated, of course. Now, without CPR and defib, the survival from cardiac arrest caused by, you know, ventricular fibrillation, for example, declines by a rate of like 10% for each minute. And after more than 12 minutes without CPR, the survival rate is like less than 5%. It's insanely silly. You want to feel good about your job? Then don't listen to this next statistic I'm about to give you here. Survival to hospital discharge has not significantly changed. <laughs> and this is most likely due to delayed CPR onset and or poor CPR in general. Bad education, no bystander CPR, etc. It cannot be understated how important CPR education is. So the patient enters cardiac arrest, not breathing, no pulse. You start CPR immediately. Now, the studies show that the sooner CPR begins, the better chance of survival. It's obvious. If you don't feel a pulse, you start CPR. You don't call for others just to come start CPR. You don't ask someone else to do CPR. You do it. If you're the one that discovers no pulse, start CPR. Unless someone literally volunteers in that second to start CPR so you can help run the code. This is the single most important intervention, and we delay it all the time. There's this weird thing that happens is when everyone hears the defibrillator charging, everyone gets off the chest because everyone is so innately afraid of getting shocked by defibrillator, even though the studies show that that's so incredibly, extremely rare. It's silly. It may be, actually be a myth. There's some studies show that you can continue CPR as long as it's not a wet surface and you're wearing nitrile gloves. The chance of getting shocked by defibrillator is, is almost zilch. It's zero. Definitely continue CPR while the defibrillator is charging. Absolutely absurd to take a break and wait for it to charge. Now, the time from pulse check to hitting the shock on the defibrillator should not take more than five seconds. And then after that, you're back on the chest. You're doing CPR again. Now, defibrillation is only used in patients with pulseless VTAC and ventricular defibrillation. Decreased time to defibrillation improves the likelihood of successful conversion to a perfusing rhythm. If a patient sustains witnessed VF or pulseless VT arrest, you're right there, you see it on the monitor and they lose pulses, shock them immediately. That's another bore test question. We did that podcast like literally three years ago. The, basically the classic stem of, hey, this patient's right in front of you. They have VF or VT. They immediately lose pulses. If they're already pads on, shock them, hit the shock button. There's no point in doing CPR. So if a defibrillator is immediately available and the pads are in place and a patient has a witnessed VF or pulseless VTAC arrest, immediately charge the defibrillator, deliver a shock right away. The 10 seconds or fewer of CPR right there from that charging, unlikely to generate any substantial perfusion. Just shock them immediately. And if that doesn't work, of course, then you start CPR and do your typical code running. But just know that quick stat here, very interesting board pearl and life pearl, really. The success of defibrillation directly depends on the duration of you know VT and VF and speed to initiate defib. 
Your pulse checks should only take less than five seconds in between CPR breaks. They should not occur after the shock delivery, as we already talked about. You want to immediately resume CPR right after defib, right away. Okay, so let's move on here. All meds and ACLS. Quick summary here. They all suck. <laughs> this is a quick one-liner. If you don't want to listen to the rest of the podcast, we're at the near the 10-minute mark here. Just, you know, just know. If you're like, hey, I got to go somewhere. I can only get a few minutes of this podcast in. Um, you can end it here. TLDR. Too long, don't read. Or TLDL. Too long, don't listen. <laughs> the meds and ACLS aren't that good. Let's, there's actually a couple of good ones, but there's not really that much going on here. Let's talk about what you need to know for the test and, unfortunately, what you need to know for real life. Epinephrine is a standard ACLS you know, flagship medication, the golden child of ACLS. Now, its first dose should be given after the second round of CPR and given from then on every three to five minutes. Then this is any type of arrest. A systole, <laughs> a systole, I hope people got that reference, PEA, VT, and VF. Now, after the third round of epinephrine, you want to give a dose potentially of amiodarone. That's what's indicated right now. Or lidocaine. Not going to go over the doses here. No point in memorizing that. In summary, later on here, two rounds later, three rounds later, you should be alternating with amiodarone or lidocaine and epinephrine every three to five minutes along with defibrillation when indicated on the monitor if it's VT and VF. Now, if that doesn't work, the boards may ask you to give lidocaine. I already hinted at it earlier. It could be first line too. There's some increasing talk about lidocaine being preferred to amiodarone and ACLS now, but that's not official. You'll never be tested on that. Current ACLS guidelines state that lidocaine or amiodarone equally can be given. Finally, one odd medication you could get tested on is beta blockers. Why is that? Well, in patients who have refractory VT, meaning you have two separate episodes of VT or VF in a 24-hour period, those patients could benefit from beta blockers. The classic case is someone you defibrillate and you're unsuccessful, or you are successful and they go right back into it despite using a correct pad placement and the correct dose of electricity. In this case, you will want to start Esmolol, and beta blockers can increase the fibrillation threshold, they decrease the risk for sudden cardiac death in patients presenting with recurrent VT, and there's some hypotheses out there saying that damaged myocardial cells are more sensitive to sympathetic tones, so beta blockers help with this. Anyway, you might be asking, okay, I get what you're saying for the test, but can we level here, Blake Briggs? and be real about this if it matters or not. Unfortunately, it doesn't. <laughs> I hate to disappoint you, but several studies have shown epinephrine doesn't help at all. It doesn't help survival to hospital discharge. Other studies suggest epinephrine could worsen neurologic outcomes. There's a lot of reasons why here, but we're not that type of podcast. <laughs> Maybe circulating catecholamines cause a negative effect on brain perfusion, and they lead to worse outcomes. Maybe epinephrine needs to be a lower dose. Maybe less frequent dosing. Maybe we shouldn't be using it at all. As of now, that is what is being tested. On your oral boards, if you have to run a code, you have to do it the ACLS way. In real life, you don't necessarily have to give epinephrine every three to five minutes. I certainly don't do that. Clinically dependent, the research shows that after several minutes of continuous CPR, epinephrine really potentially has a negative effect on the brain and heart. All right, and finishing up here, amiodarone and lidocaine, they've been found to provide little survival benefit as well and do not result in increased survivability to hospital discharge from several studies here. All right, so what else should you not be giving? What are other meds out there that potentially don't help that you could be tested on or asked about when you're running a code and someone asks you, hey, why haven't we tried this yet? Well, not atropine. <laughs> don't give atropine. Atropine has fallen out of favor in ACLS and with good reason. It doesn't have a role in a patient without pulses. On that same vein, don't give the following medications. Dopamine, vasopressin, or dibutamine. Some of you may be listening and wondering why I'm actually saying this. You're probably thinking, why would I ever want to give that? Well, there's a reason there's guidelines. <laughs> 
because people give these things. So none of those have any benefit. Don't ever give them. They're not endorsed by ACLS and AHA anyway. So just don't even bother. They don't have any role. I don't see a need to explain this further. So just please stop. Somehow steroids are on this list. (laughs) Somehow steroids have grown from standard therapy at urgent care. It's like giving out a mint at the dentist office. It's like giving steroids after an urgent care visit. Everyone gets a steroid shot, right? Somehow steroids have infiltrated the AHA guidelines. Just kidding. Steroids are not indicated. The AHA and ACLS guidelines say stop giving these steroids, which is really kind of sad because that means that people are out there giving steroids in a code. I cannot imagine thinking that way on that vein of thinking steroids could help at that moment. Uh, but people think that. So interesting. Steroids are not indicated. So stop, stop doing that. Don't give that if you've given that. What about naloxone? This one takes a little bit of explanation, actually. So recent studies show that drug overdoses are actually a previously understated cause of sudden death, especially in young people. Not very surprising to us that work in the emergency room, right? Like top three causes, though. One autopsy study demonstrated a couple years ago. Now, naloxone should definitely be given, but it's not a priority. Don't look to the AHA for help here because they don't really provide it. They give some long rambling quote about, well, it's really difficult to diagnose opioid overdose in the setting of someone without pulses. So... Naloxone does not start the heart to beat again here. It's good to give a few high doses, but a drip won't help you here. And if the patient doesn't have a pulse, you need to prioritize compressions and airway support and hopefully defib too. Empiric naloxone does not improve oxygenation or ventilatory drive in a pulseless patient. And as such, it doesn't improve or add anything to the treatments the patient is already receiving. By placing a focus on rapidly giving naloxone in cardiac arrest patients, you may be biasing yourself with some diagnostic inertia and distracted from evidence-based methods to improve care in cardiac arrest, like, you know, the compressions, the defib, the airway. So just be careful. So on the test, in a patient who loses pulses with suspected drug overdose, the answer is not naloxone, it's ABCs. And that was the correct answer in this question today. I gave you several options. I gave you naloxone, which we just talked about why that's wrong. I gave you atropine, which is always wrong. Never give atropine to a pulseless patient. I gave you intubation, which is wrong here. Intubation isn't always necessary immediately in a code. There's some exceptions to that. You can find the details on our handout online. And of course, choice B was compressions, which is always the right answer, pretty much. If you ever see the word CPR on a test question, as long as they don't have a pulse, that's the answer. There's no tricks here, all right? Anyway, what about bicarb, magnesium, calcium gluconate, or chloride? Well, no routine use is recommended here. ACLS says, yeah, you shouldn't really be giving this all the time. And I agree here with ACLS guidelines. Shocking, I know. No pun intended. (laughs) In standard cases, these medications don't change management. You want to consider them a PEA, you know, with the right story potentially for prolonged QT, torsades, hyperkalemia, etc. But just pushing these all the time. I know sometimes, you know, you're in the code running it and you're wondering, okay, I'm about to call it here. And someone says, hey, why haven't we given bicarb yet? And you consider giving bicarb. It doesn't change anything. doesn't do anything. Whatever. All right. So summary here. Epinephrine. Still first line for ACLS. Every three to five minutes or any patient who is pulseless, whether VT, VF, asystole, <laughs> PEA, probably doesn't do much. And in real life, you don't have to keep giving it after an extended time because it probably harms more than helps. That's it in a nutshell. Amiodarone and lidocaine, both recommended by ACLS in VT, VF patients who do not respond to defib and epi. You can give either medication first and follow up with the other one later if you want. Again, poor evidence of these agents, whatever. Vasopressin, no advantage over epi. Don't give it. Don't ever give it. All right, that's really it in a nutshell here. And I hope that was enjoyable. I'm going to go back on nights here. There seems to be a theme whenever I'm recording some of these podcasts. 
the faster I talk is because I'm on night shift. <laughs> so clearly I need more sleep. I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, you listen to this podcast, drop an Apple review if you're on Apple Podcast. Helps boost our rankings. And if you haven't yet, become a premium subscriber too. So you got a list of things to do. I have a list of things to do. I'm going to go get something to eat and take a nap. You do those things. I do my things. Best of luck to you. Peace out. Leave that chicken. <laughs>